Welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Daryl Andrews, an award-winning freelance game designer and consultant with over 30 games released, spanning 20 publishers and 25 languages around the world. Daryl, welcome back to the binge. How you doing? Hey, sir? happy to be here. Oh, it is great to have you. Man, oh man, buddy, I've been wanting to get you back for a while. Uh, for those who haven't, um, who don't know who you are, we have done two other episodes. One was episode 53. I also have episode 143. I encourage people to go back and listen to that back catalog. Those were really engaging uh, conversations that we had. But I thought, man, it's, there's so much that's happened in the industry. It'd be great just to kind of catch up and, uh, and, and hear what you're doing. So for those who don't know who you are, maybe you could start off really quickly getting into the background of kind of what you're all about, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's fun to keep keep connecting back to the show. Uh, and it was awesome. And uh, we, we ran into each other at Essen not too long <laughs> yeah. ago. And uh, yeah, over the years, I started uh, my first game was a game called The Walled City. It came out in 2014. And uh, ever since then, I kind of transitioned from game design being a hobby to being a bit of a jobby, to being my full-time job. And so since then, uh, I've worked on a variety of games. My best known game is a game called Sagrada that yeah. thankfully has gotten really great response. And we've been able to do it in 25 plus languages and done expansions. And that's all with Floodgate Games was the publisher there. Um, and that, you know, that came out in 2017. And it's shocking that it's still connecting with people today because in the climate of like, cult of the new it feels like a game only lasts on the shelf for a few weeks or a few months but oh, yeah. you know thankfully that's still going and and then since then i especially i got to work on a lot of licensed games uh, i do a lot of co-design and then recently uh, well i say recently it's it's coming up to a year and a half now uh, i've been also doing consulting for maestro media that's amazing. I mean, it, and I'm going to break into each of those separately in a second. Um, first of all, Sagrada, I don't want to skip over that, how big of an achievement that was. And, you know, you're, you're, you're quite a humble guy, right? So when, anytime I run into your conventions or we've seen, yeah, Proto Spiels and I mean, you are like city TV, you're everywhere, right? That's kind of the little <laughs> Canadian uh, uh, localization uh, uh, reference, but you know, when I see, uh, I'll be at a convention, I'll be like, oh, you know who that guy is? That That's the Sagrada guy. And people are like, no way. Like, he did Sagrada. <laughs> like, they, they can't get over, like, just, again, how big that game is and how global that game is. Um, I mean, I mean, I have it on my shelf, right? Like, it, it's, it should be an immense amount of pride for you. Yeah. Um, there has been a couple uh, expansions that come out after. Have you been involved in the expansions as well? Or Yeah, every everything, thankfully, uh, you know, some publishers take the ball and they run with it. Thankfully, yeah. uh, the owner at Floodgate, Ben Harkins, has always included Adrian and I, uh, my co-designer. And so we've been part of all the expansions. And then we did most recently Sagrada Artisans, which is the legacy version of Sagrada. And and all of those, uh, we not only designed them, but we worked with the publisher on all the dev. They kept us in the loop. So you know, we love we love those details. We love supporting our titles. And, you know, sometimes some publishers already have things in place and it's easier for them not to. But 
but I'm a big fan of if I can be as involved as possible, I want to be. Now you're recently announced as a taggy award winner. Um, what is, for those who don't know, what is a taggy? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there is uh, an awards uh, in North America. It's uh, with an organization called people of play or pop. And uh, I highly recommend people check them out. They're, they're uh, a website slash like organization that I kind of describe as almost like LinkedIn for game designers and publishers. And uh, they organize a, a variety of events. They used to run, it used to be known as Shy Tag, the Chicago Toy and Game Fair. Yeah. And over the years of running that, then they also ran this thing called the Taggies or the Taggy Awards. Uh, Taggy stands for Toy and Game International Excellence. Uh, and so they give out these awards. It's kind of the Oscars of board games, uh, especially more if you think of like the Hasbros and Mattels and Goliaths and Spin Masters. They're the, the predominant winners um, as they, you know, sell so many more units. Yeah. Um, and it's real fancy. It's like you're you know, in people a are in gowns and tuxedos and yeah. They're sponsored tables. And uh, I first went, oh, I want to say like five years ago. And the reason I went was, thankfully, I, I got nominated as a rising star. I did not win, but it was a, just an eye-opening experience to get to go. They do like a, a conference, and then they also do like a convention. The conference is for like game pitching, meeting with publishers. And then the convention is really well focused for like Christmas shopping and they also do a young inventors challenge where they have uh, young kids uh, enter their game design contest and it's actually pretty well recognized around the world some of these games that the kids have made have ended up getting published so that's that's like kind of the whole side of it and that was I like I said uh, about five years ago I went for rising star didn't win my nomination but then last year um, I won for the big category, the last category of the night, um, innovator of the year for a board game. And, uh, yeah, so that was a pretty humbling experience to, to, to win, um, uh, for innovator of the year. And it was fun because I just, uh, recently was there kind of handing off the title, uh, to the next person. And it was fun to hand it off to a friend, Scott Brady, who did, yeah. uh, Hughes and Clues, um, and a bunch of other games and Boop which has been a real hit uh, over the last year. Uh, he, he won. And, uh, and the funniest part was he, he teased me in his acceptance speech. Cause I, I forgot to give a shout out to my wife. So he gave a shout out to my wife for me. <laughs> what was the game that you got uh, nominated for? Was there a specific game in general? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, the, the wild part is a lot of the people up for the, the award, they name all the games they put out, for the last year and some of these design firms and think tanks put out four or five amazing games each year. Um, I had a couple small hobby games that came out, but the big one that got me on the map for them was a game called the real truth. Mm. And I made that game for Goliath and it is, it was licensed and based on a podcast of all things. And uh, the podcast was called the uh, last, last podcast to the left. And it's actually one of the biggest podcasts on uh, they've done Spotify and bounced back and forth, but sure. uh, some three three comedian actors that do conspiracies and cryptids and just wild, awesome, hilarious stories. And so I converted 
um, their their world, their content into a board game where you're running around um, figuring out conspiracies and cat catching pictures of cryptids. And um, my favorite thing about it is that uh, uh, one one of my favorite conspiracies is is flat Earth. And uh, so we we said we made the game that it is literally you're playing on a flat Earth. Yeah. as you're playing the board game, but you could fold it and it would become a three-dimensional world. And so that explains Flat Earth. So oh, that's it amazing. Could be both. I think I saw a sample of this when you were first kind of like playtesting it at a, it's got to be like a couple years ago now. Pro yes. Spiel. Yeah, in Toronto. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was playtesting. That was the game. So that game, uh, yeah, I was, I was playtesting, you know, utilizing all these great designers in one place. And so I was running some playtesting there. And that game evolved to helping me win the award. So how do I, you I can't complain. pick your um, like co-design partners and things like that? Because, I mean, you've co-designed a lot of games, right? Like every now and then I'll see a game. I'm like, oh, uh, Daryl's name's on that one, too. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly you only have so much time, right? Sure. And, uh, you know, prototyping games and design games is very, very time in intensive. How do you... A, find the people you're going to partner up with and, and how do those relationships kind of form? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, predominantly, I would say, I would guess, I'm just off the top of my head, probably 75, 80% of my games are with a co-designer. Yeah. But different co-designers, um, there's been kind of clumps, like especially someone like Adrian, uh, I've, I've co-designed for a long time. It didn't hurt that we lived in the same city. For, for many years. So getting together and play testing in person becomes a lot easier if if they're local. I, I did a lot of co-designs with uh, uh, Erica Bioris, who's in Toronto, but she got scooped up by Spin Master as an in-house designer. So that mm. kind of ended that relationship for me. Well, for design, and we still hang out and I appreciate her wisdom and support. Um, you know, even uh, like my very first game was with Steven Sauer and Every so often we kick a few games around and I just think it's a, uh, you try to make a game with some people. It's a chemistry thing. It's a jam session type thing. Uh, some of them work, some of them don't. I've, I've tried to co-design with some people that I assumed would, it would go awesome. And it just didn't, it just didn't work. Hmm. And then some people I was skeptical and, and it worked great. And, and so a little bit of it is like complementary skills a little bit of is like, you know, I, I almost describe it like improv, like where you don't want to say no, you want to say yes, uh, a yes and. And yeah. so if if you start bouncing and it starts to be like a positive thing, you're probably going to be able to make a game or two together because, you, you know, you're just kind of finding something interesting. And and I think when you work with different people, you end up making different games. So for me too, like kind of get bored of my own idea. So I love the idea of... Uh, you know, someone else's perspective, even someone to argue with or someone to, you know, feel passionate about something and go, okay, well, let's try that then. And and then ultimately let the table decide, you know, yeah. when you get it in front of people, whatever's most fun wins. So that that becomes the, the way for me and my process. Are most of these uh, games uh, intended to then be pitched to publishers or are some of them uh, the idea to be almost like uh, like self-published with your co-designer or yeah I I predominantly pitch games I, I I've done the route of being a publisher and I know I'm not uh, of that mindset anymore and I I 
prefer to partner with a publisher that can then run run with the game and add their value and put their fingerprints on it. I think I think too, like uh, as you mentioned, games take a long time. So if yeah. I'm just a part of it and then I can hand it off, that gives me the opportunity to work on more games and different games. Um, and then lately too, like uh, a new development that's pretty exciting is over the last couple of years, there's been a few established designers that have uh, wanted to partner with me. One of them, uh, Wolfgang Framer, who is, you know, on my Mount Rushmore of greatest game designers of all time. Uh, we, we connected actually because of restoration games. They asked me to restore one of his games. And then through that relationship, we liked working together. And so since then, we've signed half a dozen games. Most of them aren't out or announced, but um, I have another six or seven of his older games that I'm reimagining and working with him. And sometimes there's other designers. Uh, Michael Kiesling's involved with a few of them, Kramer and Kiesling. And uh, yeah, so that 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 has also kind of changed the way I've been doing games because now I've had a few different designers approach me and it's not just like finding a game from scratch, but even just like reimagining a, a core game mechanic or a core game loop. Can you talk about the like the restoration game? Like, has it come out yet? Or yeah, well, so the fun thing about that game was, uh, well, not at the time. It got canceled. It was signed pre-COVID, and mm. uh, we had moved the game to be very post-apocalyptic, which then when COVID hit, it was like a little too real. It was like, <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know if we want to play this like depressing game. Our whole thing was like the world was sinking, and yeah. you were like, you know, cities had gone underwater, and it, it kind of had like a, yeah, like a Mad Max kind of vibe. And uh, so they released it, actually. We had restored it, and then they were like, this doesn't fit. But thankfully, they returned everything to us and just said like find another publisher and in that time we said yeah we we, we probably want to change it anyways the next few years people probably don't want depressing themes and so we reimagined it um ironically the game it's called ox Ochsel. Uh, i'm sure i'm butchering how you say that in german but it was a trucking pickup and delivery game mm. that uh in the early 80s won a spiel de jar never oh, wow. came over north america and i knew it because i had imported well i didn't import it, my parents imported and i played it as a kid so i knew this game probably one of the handful of people that had ever played it in north america and so we restored it and made it very like in the it's called ley lines now and it's all about following these little magical uh paths through the forest and picking up and delivering different things from from the forest and uh now it's signed with arcane wonders and should be out at essen uh this coming year we were just chatting about how they're probably gonna send it to print right after chinese new year so uh yeah it's wild the evolution and the ride how do you um kind of carve out a, a typical day so i mean i know and let me preface this with i know you travel a lot just following you on social media like you seem to always be on a plane um <laughs> but when when you're not traveling and you're and you're at home um, sure how, how do you carve out your day is it is it somewhat regimented and scheduled or how do you kind of build that out yeah. so that you can get yeah no a typical i mean i'm probably even more carve it out as a typical week um because as i mentioned i do a lot of co-designs and so Often what I will do is a certain co-designer will be a certain day of the week. And, you know, we can check in with each other 
uh, work through if we've had play tests, kind of do some follow-ups, chat through that. Um, also, I, I mentioned at the top, uh, I've been doing consulting for a company called Maestro Media. Yeah. And so they take up usually a couple days. Uh, I, I work for them, you know, one or two days worth or total, but that spreads out over the week. So um, I'll drop into a lot of their like developer meetings or their organizational meetings that they have. And just uh, to A, be up to date with all of what's happening with them, but also to speak into for them, I do a lot of kind of the talent relations. So connecting them with artists and connecting them with designers and connecting them with IP and working alongside them. So th those are some of my typical meetings is listening to pitches and dropping into meetings for them. Um, meetings with co-designers and then, and then scheduling a few, a few nights of play testing and, and things like that. So it kind of bleeds into a few evenings. Yeah. Uh, I just moved. So sadly I lost, I had this incredible group of people that were generous and kind and willing to play test and it is an acquired skill and it's, uh, it takes time to build up those kind of communities. So I'm kind of restarting that again and looking at, is like I'm gearing up and then hopefully hit the ground come Christmas time to start up those groups and start those play testings on a more regular basis. But yeah, a typical day is a bunch of meetings, follow-ups, you know, everything from, you know, oh, I met you at the convention a few weeks ago and I showed you these five games, any one of those you want to see more about, uh, games that are being worked on, where can I support them? Uh, we just... Um, I have a co-designer, Morgan Dontaval, who is the uh, creative director at Catan. Mm. And uh, we did a, a Batman game together at uh, Cryptozoic. And uh, we worked on it as predominantly over, over COVID. It's a solo game. So it, it worked out pretty well. We could play test on our own and then send photos and notes to each other. But um, you can only do so many solo games. So, so now, you know, play testing is really important. Uh, some co-designers I work with, they, they use TTS. I'm old school. I don't, I don't do a lot of digital play testing. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I just find different ways to kind of keep moving the ball on wherever, you know, different titles are. I asked, uh, Jamie Stagmeyer, uh, this, this, this question, um, is uh, when, your entire career now is, is game design, right. And, and, and getting games out there like with any job, is there a time when you have to kind of put that aside and say, okay, I, I need some non game time. Cause now that, I mean, my entire world is games. Are you there yet? Is there any, is there any? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's super important. I mean, even I just went away this weekend uh, to celebrate. I went to visit Jacob way um he has a game company called friendly skeleton yeah uh, used to be known as Deepwater games and going to visit it was funny because like even like chat like talking it would just instantly slip into business talk and board game talk all the time and both our partners were like uh you know can we talk about something else and so <laughs> it's like absolutely like you got to remember like to have a life and that uh, games can be all consuming if you let it, but it's also like a blessing. We love it and we're passionate about it. So we enjoy it, but it's really important to, you know, turn it off. And, and I think as a creative, like to have bandwidth, I think it's super important to like protect and fight for 
your mind to just think about other things and be able to just explore and enjoy life. And who knows, those things usually come back around and, and inspire the next game. How'd the maestro media relationship, how'd that come together? Yeah, it's funny. So I, I think if I think back, I think the assist goes to Scott Rogers, a really talented game designer uh, out of the West coast that I've known for a number of years I think he was the first to mention them and put them on my radar beyond I knew I had seen they had done a Kickstarter for a game called Binding of Isaac and it did super well. And to be honest, I didn't know anything about the video game. Uh, I knew more. Actually, I had heard of Ed uh, um, McMullen, the creator, but I didn't really know too much about um, about the video game. It wasn't my style. Um, Similar with the Kickstarter. And then Scott uh, mentioned and connected me to them and I was pitching them a game. And then as I started to get to know them, I really liked what they were trying to do. And I thought they were a company on the rise. We actually met at Astra of -hmm. all shows. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, Astra is like more, uh, again, mass market kind of convention that really connects distributors and, and stores, toy stores, gift shops, all these things, they bring them all together at a convention. And I attended and full circle, um, they have like a pub night that's run by the people that do people of play. Uh, Mary Cousins, uh, who organizes the taggies and pop and all those things. She runs at Astra, these pub nights. And, and so in the end, I met up with Javon, the CEO of Maestro at this pub. Uh, it was just a mixer event, but an opportunity to network, an opportunity to maybe set up some meetings while the event moves around. And so it wasn't too far from him. It was in the Los Angeles greater area. So Javon, the CEO of Maestro Media, attended and we hung out. We got to know each other. And I and it was hilarious because I ended up just being at a table with a ton of people that I know really well. And he didn't know any of them. And he sat down and we had this great chat and just organically a bunch of them complimented me at different times in the night, which was just super nice of them. And at the end he was just like, was this all a setup? Like, did you just <laughs> to, like sell me on you? Cause that was great. Like, and I was just like, no, I couldn't have paid them to do that. Uh, it's just a fun time. And uh, he said, do you think you could help us? And I, I love kind of an open-ended question like that. And I really said, let me think about it. Let me think what I can do that adds value. And, compliments what you're already doing and we continue the conversation from there and literally probably a month after that i i started as a consultant for them and and kind of have been ever since spending about half of my time at all these conventions doing stuff for them while also then getting to do my freelance design on the side not to kind of simplify, oversimplify it, but is it, is it kind of like you're a scout? Is that, is that kind of a fair yeah, description? Yeah, I think that's a, a absolutely accurate description. It's a yeah. scout. It's also, I. it's funny because like the capacity is growing for the company. So when I started, there wasn't a lot of scouting to do. There was a lot of questions of who are we and what's our brand and what's our identity and what are we trying to do and what's our processes. Yeah. And so for the first year, it really was, hey, scout the odd time, but mostly help us just like streamline our process, understand, like codify it so that when we do have greater bandwidth and capacity, we can do that well. And so I feel really excited because now are the games that I started 
and they're you know now i'm getting to work on the next wave so games like hello kitty and smurfs are just you know finishing files and getting printed and getting manufactured and i was part of you know recruiting that designer recruiting that artist you know helping like going to licensing expo and and nailing down the details for what we could do and what we couldn't do and so all those kind of steps along the way i learned a lot and also like we as a team grew so that you know i feel like yes i'm a freelancer yes i'm a consultant but i also feel like i'm part of maestro because you know i i'm getting to see the games that i started working on are coming out now You still have input into some of the designs as well. Like, so when they're, when their team's going, like you bring the designer to the table and you're going through like, use like a Hello Kitty as an example, which sure. again, congrats to them on that most recent launch. Um, do you look at that game and say, okay, I think there's some things we can maybe tweak here. Like, are, are you, do you have that uh, capacity as yeah. well in the company? Well, yeah. So it, it's fun because early on uh, and generously, Javon was like, well, you just make all the games. And I was like, no, 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 let me, let me find you good people and good things. But uh, the ability to have a wider bandwidth is don't be dependent on just one person or, you know, there's pros and cons to that. So we ended up like one of my favorite finds was for Smurfs, the designers, the design team is like Antoine Bauza and Mont Blanc and Theo Rivera and, and, uh, and Sabat and, The cool thing is, like, even my favorite thing to say is that Theo is uh, Belgian and the Smurfs are Belgian. And so, like, we needed a Belgian to make a Smurfs game. He grew up. It's in his blood. And so, like, we found this awesome crew and match made, you know, this scenario where it's all-star designers making, you know, a really cool branded game. And so for especially the first year, I was just, like, off the table. I said, I do not want to be the designer For any of these first wave games i'm open-minded down the road but let's first prioritize like matching now on the dev side i was a little bit involved but long term the goal was how could we be sustainable and the cool part is uh over the first year um i got to help recruit the talent and so in that department we hired john gilmore full full-time to be our in-house head of development and then also we hired bobby west who ended up helping with development and now as a project manager. Um, and so the two of them really run the ship when it comes to development, but mm -hmm. thankfully because they're friends and because they don't mind including me, I still play test everything and get, you know, get to give some notes and get to influence it. But the, the main goal is like, I feel so confident in them. But the nice thing is like, I know they're going to develop it in great ways and in ways that maybe I don't even think of. But they can focus on that. That's their zones of genius is how can we, you know, especially John is squeezing the life out of like every play test result and analyzing that and making the game better. And Bobby is trying to think, how can we make this product amazing? How can we get it at the price point that is competitive? Things like that. So I don't I have to do all those details. I just get to be involved where I can. I can imagine that some of these conventions you go to, uh, you're probably pulled in many different directions, just given the sheer number of publishers you've worked with. Do you find that at some of these conventions you have a kind of trouble having to allocate your time across uh, different publishers or how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, it can be tricky and, and it's funny because like some publishers want to see you every time and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's like, well, you, you saw this year's wave of games or whatnot. So I have to kind of prioritize um, publishers I haven't met with and especially something like at Essen I try not to meet with North American publishers I try to 
say like, hey, this is my chance to meet with, you know, some European or Asian publishers. Yeah. Um, let me let me try to do that. Um, but yeah, it's a juggle. It's always kind of like you want to uh, check in with all the people you've worked with before, especially the ones that you've really loved working with. But you got to meet new publishers and you got to yeah. see what up, what are other people looking for? And I, I take a, a lot of pride in especially making two games for a publisher. That means like maybe they didn't uh, mind working with me the first time. Uh, so like, I especially love having at least a couple games with a publisher, but I also just love working with new people. So, so it, it is difficult to try to, it's a lot of work to like connect with the next wave and the next wave. Cause there's, there's always new people making cool stuff. Oh yeah. And it's cool to see in this industry, how every generation of games coming out is building on the generation before. And yeah. you've got this kind of cumulative effect as big snowballs rolling down the hill. And I, I can't even imagine what it's going to look like five years from now, right? What, what the what the games will be coming out at that point. Have you put any thought behind kind of where, you, where you're going? Like, I got to imagine at some point you're got to be laying in bed at night and, and, and thinking, gosh, you know, things are great right now, obviously. But what is, where am I going? What's my vision? Have you had those thoughts at all or? Yeah, I think I think my biggest thing that I've been focused on and and it's a long-term goal is trying to bridge. I think there's a bit of a gap between what people refer to as mass market games or yeah. these big publishers like the Hasbro's, Mattel's, Goliath Spins. And and yet like we only think of them for like old, you know, monopolies or party games. And I appreciate that, but I think there's a lot of room for more collaboration and more games that are somewhere in between. And so one of my main goals is to make connections and inroads so that good games can also have like mass like reach. And so that might be something like partnerships. Uh, one of the fun things behind the scenes was helping connect in this last year, I helped connect uh, 25th century games specifically their game uh, Green Team Wins with Goliath. And so the cool part there is you can find Green Team Wins in a Target and you can find it in your local hobby store. Mm. And because of that connection, you know, I, I know 25th Century. I have a couple games coming out with 25th Century in the next year or two. And I love Chad and I think he's building some amazing games. But I thought, you know, he's so busy making great games in hobby channels. He doesn't have those necessarily all those kind of employees needed to support a big mass release so connecting him with goliath it became like a real win-win and i just happened to have games with both of them so i was like hey you guys should talk to each other hmm. and i think more of that i think will be in my future i think making like good games that also have licenses that's a big like i i want to up the level of like quality there i think too often we've thought of licensed games as like games grandma bought me and and it and they kind of suck but they have like a really cool ip i like so you know they sit on the shelf and you never play them like i want to make i want to make games and really cool licenses like combined where if you're a fan or not you just love the game still and so yeah, yeah that i think is probably the two main areas is is helping bridge some of those partnerships 
and making and finding games that can bridge the divide of like a newbie or a fan of something and then have them have such an awesome game experience that they're like, oh, I'm hooked. And then maybe they end up finding some of these other titles that we've made because their on-ramp was like, oh, I played this awesome game and it was themed around blank and I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Daryl, I, I just got to say that, uh, again, thank you for remaining humble in in all that you do. Uh, I mean, every time I see you at conventions, people are always want to get selfies with you and or you're running up to people say, hey, let's get a selfie. And you see the whole reel on your Facebook page after a con. And I could see someone in your position uh, easily letting kind of that get to them. And and you remain grounded consistently. And I think that is so cool. And uh, it is awesome having you on this podcast. And we'll definitely get you back for another episode in the future. We'll talk about the next game that you end up launching. Absolutely. I love it. I really appreciate that. It's very kind. And uh, I think think it's just because of the people I've worked with. I've worked with some awesome creative successful people and i i want to continue to pay that forward i i think the game community like at our best and sure there's mistakes along the way and some bad players that we need to weed out but in general my experience has been so positive that i just want to continue to pay that forward i think a rising tide helps all boats and so i've experienced that i've had people that took a chance on me and so i want to continue to support and encourage and do that for others as well It's truly a great industry to be in. All right, my friend, you take care. Cheers. All right, thanks. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.